Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 17 of the Aviation Spotters podcast. I am your host, Colin Moser. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode with Jordan. I hope you guys learned a lot about him and a lot of what he had to overcome to be what he is now. He is really one of my best friends, and I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that episode. Uh, He does have some amazing stories. I know his father also had some equally amazing stories to tell. But with that being said, we are in episode 17 of the AVSP. This week, I have my biggest guest yet, and I think you guys are going to love what he has to talk about and all of his stories and how he got into photography and what he has, the endless list of photos that he has taken. He has been published in all the major publications, such as Combat Aircraft Journal, Air Force Monthly. He has been featured in The Drive, The Aviationist, and a lot of Warbird magazines. He also publishes his own books, which we will talk about at the end. So it's my pleasure to introduce on episode 17 of the AVSP, Mr. Kadar Kamarkar. Kadar, how are you doing this morning? Hey, Colin, how are you? Glad to be here, man. I am so glad you're here, too. Uh, Actually, a lot of people have been asking for you to come on the show and talk about just your, your photography in general. And I think a lot of people are going to love what you have to talk about today. Cool. All right, man. Well, let's start rolling into it. Uh, let's get to know you a little bit, man. Uh, let's tell us about yourself. Uh, how did you get into photography and just kind of where you're from and all that? Yeah, sure. So um, I am from, uh, originally I'm from, from India. I'm from Mumbai, uh, which is on the west coast of India. Which is kind of like uh, New York City, uh, you know, uh, but New York City is more like known for financials and you know that kind of thing, stock market and all that, Wall Street. But Mumbai is kind of like melting pot of everything. It's got financials, got music, cultural, food, you know, international stuff, whatever. So um, back in the day, again, uh, born into a middle class family. Uh, obviously, there was no internet uh, when I was growing up. Um, but I did have some, you know, some good interest in, in uh, I developed some good interest in like uh, the, the dog fighting stuff, uh, especially World War II stuff. Um, I used to read the, the Commando comics that were available, uh, you know, uh, on, on a small books bookshop uh, on the street, uh, if you will. And then I, I, I started to, you know, those were like short stories of World War II, you know, short sketch stories. And then I started to develop more deeper interest. I used to read like some serious books about uh, military aviation, the development, and kind of uh, was like really uh, into the technical stuff. Uh, of course, I was uh, encouraged a lot by my uh, parents, um, again, uh, uh, and, and my uncle as well. Uh, even though I was a single kid, you know, uh, the, the only kid rather uh, in, the, in, in the family. Uh, but then, so the plan A was to kind of join the Indian Air Force. Uh, obviously, in those days, there was there were no air shows, and again, being uh, in a middle class family, we couldn't afford uh, a luxury like cameras and photography, which were like really expensive. So obviously, the uh, the plan was to just join the Indian Air Force. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. So plan B, I went to you know uh, work in the IT uh, sector, and then uh, fast forward ninety nine. I found myself in uh, Sunnyvale, uh, living under the, living in an apartment under the flight path of the Moffat, uh, you know, Hercules and uh, Pavehawks, and I was like really like blown away because all you know. And then, uh, in, in fact, I came here in May '99, and June or July there was an air show in Moffat, 
and I was like literally like a kid in a candy store because whatever I had read about was all there to touch and feel and you know I could talk to the crews and all that stuff so this was like reality and I was like wow and uh, I had a small camera then like a Minolta whatever fixed lens stuff then I bought another uh, Minolta uh, you know DSLR uh, no, uh, yeah, not not a DSLR but SLR uh, obviously and then um, got some lenses and then I started clicking and you won't believe like the, the earlier shots that I had uh, those were like frozen props you know all you know auto mode or whatever I had no clue of photography but then uh, going to air shows uh, like uh, around local like San Francisco or Salinas I kind of got in touch with a community called fencecheck.com uh, which was really really kind of a boost you know and, and really developed my, my style of photography because uh, there were especially like some of the influential folks uh, like uh, there was a guy called Glenn Bloor he, he still is uh, I think in Santa Monica like somewhere in SoCal uh, Larry Grace was there and then uh, there was a local guy called Taka um, they especially Glenn like I used to uh, trade uh, you know or we used to uh, exchange uh, post-processing stuff like hey I, I shot this you know picture and I just did you know this kind of treatment to it what do you think and we used to have like you know kind of back and forth and that so that's when like and then you know with fence check and all that that's when I kind of started going to air shows you know learning about photography and all that so that's that's what 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 got me into it awesome so you are a self-taught photographer then Oh yeah, oh yeah, and digital helped a lot because uh, we I got that first Olympus uh, like a semi or a semi prosumer camera they called it uh, with all the aperture shutter exposure and all that buttons and it also had the P mode and the A mode and all that. But that's where I learned the whole relation between the the trifecta, right? The aperture, shutter, and the exposure and all that stuff. Yeah, it's definitely. A learning curve especially back in the day with the old SLR cameras um, for example my um, old Pentax when I first started uh, shooting back in 2010 mm. we had an adapter to use my grandfather's old Pentax lenses from the 60s and 70s mm. and me being the curiosity guy and the self-taught photographer I am I went out to the airport and I was using a 200 millimeter that was meant for like an old film Pentax right. and I had to do all the aperture and stuff and the focus all by myself mm, because yeah. you know it has no autofocus motor in the lens you know that kind of taught me also to really learn what an aperture is and how to deal with the lighting and all that so right. I think a lot of self-taught photographers really have done a lot more for the community because you know it's just like we have to you know we t we have, we learn this by trial and error and you know there's a lot of shots that I regret that I was in my early days I completely yeah. agree with you when you said the early days were not good <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know you look you look back on that you're like man I wish I was really good back then because you know you you miss a lot of stuff that doesn't exist now oh yeah exactly uh, like yeah I, I think it's it's every every photographer's uh, pain point that hey wish I could you know time travel in the past with the technology of today right exactly exactly man so real quick so you brought up a lot of World War two stuff um, I know you do a lot of air-to-air -air with a lot of warbirds which I absolutely enjoy seeing mm -hmm. uh, were any of your family members in the Second World War as veterans 
Yeah, that's that's a good point. I had like literally none on my like father side or, or mother side. No one was anywhere near aviation. <laughs> so that's why like even in my family people are like how did this guy get in this family, you know? <laughs> Because I really yeah. had like an like an obsession if you will uh with, you know, all the planes and and especially like my even my uh, my subjects are like uh, either military aviation or uh, warbirds that's it um, i don't do civilian or general aviation or whatever it is like i might do uh, commercial traffic or whatever or civil aviation just because i'm there but i won't like get up at like four o'clock and, and go to an airport to catch some new airlines or whatever now that's that that's fair and, and that's definitely you know commercial aviation isn't everybody's cup of tea i mean you have people that just solely shoot commercial not military right and yeah it's vice versa exactly exactly it's like to to each his own right Yeah, and I can, and you brought the point of how your parents really got you into aviation, and my parents did the exact same way. Like, I want to be into aviation without the help of my dad. Uh, you know, you've been posting a lot of uh, mountain home stuff from 2008 on your Instagram and Facebook. Right. And my dad, there's a photo of me and my dad uh, back when I was ooh, young, like 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 1999, 2000, you know, about four or five. There's a photo of him with me on his shoulders at Gunfighter Skies nice. at Mountain Home like in 2000, 2001. So, you know, without my father, I really wouldn't be the aviation nut that I am. And, you know, this hearing kind of like your you know, similar story with me is, you know, your parents got you in. My I had a, my grandfather was in World War II. It was in the Navy, and that's really the extent of aviation for me. So, I mean, I really can relate to you with being self-taught and not a lot of aviation in you in the fan the family. Right. So, I think that is that that's really really cool. Um, real quick, growing up in India, so you didn't even really start taking photos because like I said no cameras and stuff like that. Uh, do you still go back to India every so often to to take photos out there? Uh, exactly. I I do. Uh, like yeah, especially when I was growing up. Uh, there was there was no air shows uh, or whatever, so obviously no cameras, nothing. Uh, uh, but I, I think even now when I go to India, uh, and again I think I, I did hear that uh, on the earlier episode with Sandeep about spotting, you know, and all those things uh, from the road or you know from from the public areas or whatever. I, I just don't do it because it's just not worth it. First of all, like I'm I'm there for. You know whatever two two weeks or you know whatever leave I have, uh, I'm there mm-hmm. for only a short amount of time, uh, and I have to see like other you know relatives and friends and all that stuff. And with that going on, I just don't want to invite like uh, any kind of trouble. Uh, and I would rather like yeah you know kind of the encourage the same thing like even for for you guys if if you go down to India, it's not the same as you know shooting from here outside Nellis or outside SFO or San Jose. Um, I wouldn't do it, and I would encourage you guys not to do it as well because it just puts you into a whole lot of pain, unwanted pain, really. And exactly. yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, I don't blame the guys as well because it's just the geopolitics and you know uh, the security situation that we have back in India that we cannot you know distinguish our enemies just by the you know the color of the skin or you know whatever it is. So you know you might do photography there, you know, two three days, and you know if you wanted to get a shot of some rare airliner or whatever, but that same spot might be used tomorrow by a guy for five minutes who can you know just pitch up something, 
you know and and think you know or appear as if he's a photographer and use that for some ulterior means you know mm-hmm. so that's why like I, I like kudos to the guys who could do it you know right now but i don't do it just because the, the other thing is even if i get into trouble i i might like i will have to call someone or my friends in the air force or whatever and they will have to kind of you know unnecessarily come down and you know use that credit for an unnecessary thing that could have been avoided you know yeah so yeah. like yeah I, i just don't do it i whatever i shoot that's with the permission and you know whatever the the access and all that stuff it's all squared out before i go there that's that's really well put is uh, you, you have the connections and then you you get the permission well in advance so when they if they come up to ask you like hey right. we have this person said it was okay and then but yeah that's what i that's that's one of the things i really talk about with sandip is about that about all that and like i said you know just how privileged that i that we are yeah. in sort of yeah. countries that weren't to go out to an airport and do what we can exactly. do exactly um it's but uh this is kind of for my own kind of personal thing so you were in india during the indo pakistan war right in fact uh in in 1909 when the whole problem started i came here like the, the whole problem okay. started in may 99 and i came here just during that time but then yeah then the actual uh the war and then fight actually happened later uh okay. later okay. in the in the same year but but later in this later in the month Okay. I was just just curious and all that cuz you know I'm a political science international major and all uh, that okay, so I was kind of find that that geo stuff really interesting. Anyway, before we lose a lot of viewership I start going on a tangent. Uh let's let's keep it aviation. But uh real quick man, do you have any other hobbies outside of aviation photography? You know, I I used to fly. Uh like I I learned flying in 2005 and I used to fly till 2017. That was that was a good uh, good hobby I had. Uh, and then uh, i used to play like the uh, the indian drums uh, called the tabla um oh, cool. oh, cool. yeah like it's just kind of like a something something of a break that i used to take uh, but uh, right now like these days it's, it's more of uh, you know reading uh, uh, books uh, about like both my work and uh, you know some of the defense uh, aviation topics and uh, The other thing is uh, trying to you know keep up to date with you know what's happening on the post processing world right um, you know lightroom coming up with some new tools or you know whatever and i sometimes like try to dabble around you know hey can i use that or or how how can i use it you know whatever so yeah just kind of a a a, a smattering of things That's pretty cool that you that you're able to play uh, the drums and all that still. And I think you posted a video yeah. uh, a while back of you doing that. And that's always cool. That's always cool to just, you know to see the, the the that culture and all that. And like I said, at the episode with Sandip is I do love the Indian culture right. and all that. And I think that that's really that's really cool. Uh, one last question before I move it on. Do you have a home airport for you because you you don't really do a lot of airport spotting um yeah. besides maybe a red flag but you're usually all over the place so do you even have one Yeah so yeah, yeah, exactly as I said like I like even though San Jose is like the the, the nearest major airport for me uh but again since I don't do the civilian stuff or commercial stuff uh yeah I I don't go uh trying to you know take pictures of air, of civilian stuff even in uh, like sfo for example so yeah like i i don't have like a like a home airport for spotting or whatever uh because again civilian stuff is off is off my interest list uh 
so yeah I, i'm i'm just there you know wherever interesting military stuff or warbird stuff is happening and that's it yeah so yeah more like a gypsy rather than a you know <laughs> fixing <it. laughs> well that's that's completely fair i mean if anybody that follows you and i'm sure a lot of the viewers or a lot of the listeners out there do i mean they'll 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 understand right. um but that's asking but it's a completely fair answer so let's uh, let's move on to the cameras. So you said you started out with an Olympus. Uh, kind of what else have you used in the past, and what's your current setup now? So I started with like like even before Olympus. Olympus was a digital step uh, step into the digital uh, world. But before that, I had a Minolta, and I used to shoot film. Then I used to, I used to shoot slides as well. And then from there, when I actually made the serious jump, uh, it was with the D seventy uh, from Nikon. Uh, back in the day when I when I made that move because at that time you know I was going I was changing Minolta anyway and I was you know uh, evaluating between Canon and Nikon and Nikon with the D70 was kind of more superior at that time so I you know stepped into the Nikon world into the dark world as people would say uh, so it's been like yeah I've used like D70 D3 D2XS uh, D200 as well I think and then D7000, 7200. But then right now, I use a D850, uh, that's a full frame, and a D500, which is a crop. And I'm experimenting with uh, uh, the mirrorless uh, thing with the Z7. Ooh. Yeah. How do you like the mirrorless so far compared to the uh, to the DSLRs? Yeah, so especially on, on the Z7, I think I bought it last to last, I think 2019 or something, uh, late. Uh, and I did try out try it out at at some of the playoffs, uh, some of the events. Uh, but I think it's it's not exactly there yet for the type of shooting that I do, uh, especially with the with with kind of like the the fast, the fast focus, mm-hmm. you know, fast you know panning and all that stuff. So it's it's not yet out there. And then the other thing is like it's. Uh, it's not snappy uh, like the DSLR, like you know, with the, with the or even the feel uh, of shooting, right? Even with the with the DSLR that we have or I have right now, it's it's more like you know, more full uh, in it it it, uh, it feels more full in the hands, like the grip and the size of the body and all that. So like beginning with with uh, with just the sensory uh, feedback, if you will, uh, it's different. Uh, even the performance is different. So, whatever I do in a in a DSLR, I can just I can't just like copy paste that stuff into mirrorless. There is a certain amount of getting used to uh, that's there uh, in the mirrorless system. So, as far as whatever I have you know uh, you know shot, there are good points. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, like static stuff or the uh, what they call the EVF or whatever that adjusts you know according to you know whatever settings you do so you see the result before you actually shoot before you take the picture uh, which is great uh, then even like i have done some uh, like video for example uh, that is way easier on the mirrorless because now you can you know watch uh, the things in the viewfinder and you can still you know uh, record that uh, unlike the dslr where you have to you know do it on the lcd uh, which is again not the natural position but uh, I think from a from a lag perspective, uh, from a focus uh, sharpness perspective, uh, there, I think the Z7 is uh, is not there yet. 
now i i do hear a lot about like the the, the focus improvements in the z72 or the z62 that's that's launched uh, but i'm kind of you know reserving my or, or saving my money for the next gen z7 or whatever that nikon will launch probably this year uh, which i expect of the focus to be you know much more like in line or in par with uh, at par with uh, the d850 i do think that the future of a, uh, photography digital photography will go mirrorless it's just so new right now that a lot of it's focused on right. like, like the, the the portraits and the yeah, landscapes exactly. not a lot of exactly. i think yeah those, those are good for like the, the the street photography the low light you know port, yeah. portrait yeah. landscape wedding you know because that's where the money is right uh aviation photography i don't think so there's a lot of money no, I don't think I don't think Nikon or Canon really care about us. But uh, yeah. the future is mirrorless, but it's just a matter. It's just how long right. it will be before exactly. Exactly. a company will make a camera that will suit our needs. You know, high shutter, mm. um, high refresh rate. Right. But I mean, it sounds like the basics. The basics of it are there. Right. It's just like you said, we have to wait for the the right camera to come right. along. So what had what lenses have you used? in the past and currently use right now then too uh, lenses in the past uh, obviously the uh, i used to use a 18 200 uh, the general purpose you know nikon lens for quite a while and then i used to use the 8400 uh, for my uh, air show stuff and then when i started to do uh, air to air initially i started with the 7200 the 2.8 um, and then uh, I went from that 18200 to a 24120. So right now, uh, the mix that I have is, uh, especially for an air-to-air -air shoot, I will go with a, a 24120, and then uh, an 8400 uh, because uh, so the the, the 24120 which will be wide will be on the full frame, and then the 8400 would be on the on the crop. So that way I can basically cover. Uh, 24 millimeter to 600 millimeters, right? Um, mm -hmm. Using those two bodies and lenses uh, for the air-to-air -air shoot. For the ground uh, shoot, I have like a 500 uh, f4, and then I got a 400 2.8 as well, and that was just to basically uh, also experiment with like a like a 2x converter, you know, and a 800 5.6 if you will, right? Uh, but again, like I would, uh, yeah, like the, the image quality is not exactly, or maybe like I'm spoiled with the with the prime lenses uh, because obviously uh, with the 5.6 uh, and the and the teleconverter there is some degradation in the quality. So uh, I would use like 500 or or 400, like depending upon like low, the the low light. Uh, so if it's going to be like you know twilight or or dusk, like after sunset, I will carry the 400 2.8 because that's just a faster lens, more more wide than the 500 uh, but then i also have the 200 500 which has been a real uh, a really really great lens uh, for for the price i think it's, it's half the price of an 8400 but it is a really like it has been actually like great for me uh, in in my photographic uh, you know journey even though it's like kind of you know cheap than the 8400 so i think those are the lenses like it's the 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 200 500 the 8400 the 7200 and then uh, the 24 is my general purpose you know wide wide angle lens that's really interesting how you do that uh, especially like 
pairing the lenses with the with the um, with the current conditions and all that, and how you're able to do that on the air to air portions and the shoots and all that. That's really interesting. Right. Kind of speaking of air to air, so what got you into the, to the air to air photography? Yeah, that was uh, that was a chance meeting uh, in 2008. Uh, I was there, and then uh, there were a couple other folks. Uh, Taka was there, who, who lives local. And then there was another guy, a Japanese guy called Atsu. He used to live uh, somewhere in the Midwest. But we three decided to go to uh, Quebec in Canada for their 400 whatever anniversary air show or whatever. So we land there. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, we don't speak French. Uh, and literally, mm-hmm. like, it, it was fun uh, during the, the first couple of, you know, days. Like whenever we used to plan to have like lunch or dinner or something, we used to like go to a McDonald's, and we used to do what we call the point and point and eat. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I want that one, like like point at it, right? And then they will understand. Okay, you want that? Like okay, instead of like trying to converse them with like French or whatever. But uh, we met a guy called Eric uh, Kokelsbergs. Uh, during the air show like he was there shooting with his cannon and then we got talking and you know great guy we we kept in touch uh, we used to like regularly email back and forth and then in 2010 yeah 2010 he first uh, uh, you know uh, i think he organized an air tour shoot in belgium and he had invited me and i was planning to go but then there was some emergency on my side and i had to cancel but then i went in 2011 that's when the first time when we had that uh, the air to air stuff and there were like the warbirds and then there were like few other you know civilian general general aviation stuff just for you know subjects for us to shoot and that's when you know uh, i kind of i kind of call it <laughs> like a drug because once you once you taste that that thing then you really want to you know go back into it like every, every time or you know, mm-hmm. then you start getting withdrawals if you if you don't do like some air to airs or whatever you know. <laughs> At least for me. No, I'm the same way. My last air to air shoot was uh, like August 2016, and I haven't done one since. And I'm going like, oh, I would really like to like to do that again. <laughs> exactly, so, it's, it's a totally uh, different feeling, you know, perspective, you know, totally different world. It is, and it's you get a lot of more of artistic shots and i think kind of people who like doing air to air also like doing the low level stuff too because it's all about it's like the backdrop and all that too and just the conditions you can get such a unique shot that it's that you know you can solemnly get it at an airport i mean like how i my only air to air shoot was with um, a javron carbon cub and a Harmon rocket uh and it was i mean i have some of my my favorite photos that were taken uh were from that that day but so you've done a lot of uh, not just warbird air to air, and you also done a lot of military air to air as well. Uh, so you know, this kind of question is like, kind of, what's your favorite airport and airplane to spot? Well, I'm gonna kind of reword that question right. because, like we are already established, you don't have an you don't really airport spot. So out of all your air to air shots, because I've seen you done stuff with uh, the Greek Phantoms, you've done it with uh, mm-hmm. Vader with the Belgian F 16 solo display, you've done a lot of stuff with the Ericsson Aero Collection. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've done so much. What what has been your favorite air to air shoot that you have done over these years? So I think the, the most favorite uh, I would say was uh, in, uh, in Wichita, in Kansas, when we went to shoot the. Uh, 
uh, the, uh, the B-29 uh, called DOC, which is uh, the world's second uh, B-29 which was flying, or which is flying, rather. Um, and the reasons, obviously, uh, uh, I think, yeah, it was the third or the fourth flight of B of that B-29 uh, when we did the air-to-air -air, uh, with it. Uh, and especially like the way it, uh, it happened was it was supposed to be a, a sunset shoot like you know uh, but then the crew was like you know what we will fly in the afternoon which is again bad for air to air because the light is at its harshest yeah but they were like you know we'll, we'll fly in the afternoon and we'll get you some shots and all that stuff and then we'll land and we'll, we'll check her up and you know if, if she can still go at like the sunset then, then we, we can still go but if she breaks, then at least you have something in the bag. And we are like, okay, fine, you know, no worries. So fortunately, nothing happened, and then we went out uh, in the suns uh, on, uh, at the sunset time. But then the the best part about uh, about it, the, about that being my my most favorite was the first of all, it was the B twenty nine, which is a, a warbird. The second, obviously, the light. Uh, it was sunset. It was beautiful. You know, uh, great weather. And I think the third one, and then the, uh, what we call kind of last but not the least, was I was shooting with Paul Bowen, who is, you know, who's kind of like a pioneer as well uh, in the air-to-air, -air, you know, photography world. And he's just, uh, I, I kind of, I don't know uh, what to call it, I, like it's like the best human being and the epitome of, of humility because... I was shooting with him and he was, you know, sitting, uh, you know, uh, going, you know, prepping for, you know, going up. And he asks me like, uh, hey, do you want to call the shoot? And I'm like, dude, I'm with you. You know, you are kind of like, like the king. I would rather have you call this, uh, you know, call the shoot. And I would, I would, I would rather learn, you know, how, how you do it. And uh, he was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but... Uh, let's let's uh, you know you uh, let's uh, have you call as well i'm like okay fine let's you know let's let's just go and and, and then we'll see you know we'll wing it so we went ahead and, and i saw the whole like like the way he moved the aircraft around and sometimes he moved the uh, the photo ship around because obviously the b29 it's it's a huge aircraft it's it's not like you know agile it's not like like hey i want you to go like you know you know five right and it's like you know, in two seconds, it's it's you know whatever five right or ten right or whatever or up down. So sometimes he used to move the the photo ship itself just to get that 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 right uh, you know shot. And then at the end of it, he asked me like, hey, is there any any uh, any other angle that that you need? And I'm like, yeah, there is one more, and that's like a head-on angle. I want a head-on angle on the B29. So he's like, yeah, okay, I, I got it. And then he moved it so brilliantly that you know we, we we got my shots and i think that's one of my my favorite shoots of uh, like of all times just because of the subject the time the light and obviously who i was with i, I got a lot of learning uh, in in that uh, in, in that time frame so that would be my favorite one that is absolutely incredible um I think I've seen some of those photos and our listener would have seen those from the kind of teaser photos that were, that we posted of that. Um, but man, just being able to be, to do something like that. I know that's on so many people's bucket list, especially just with that aircraft too. The second B-29, just newly restored. 
I mean, if you guys want to know some really cool stories, if you haven't listened to the episode yet, uh, go back and listen to um, episode episode seven with Nick Moore. Uh, he is from Wichita, the Wichita right. area, and he actually was a part of the first flight stuff, and he has done a lot of stuff with uh, with Doc as well. So if you guys want to go hear some cool Doc stories, go back, listen to episode seven with Nick Moore. Um, but that, oh, man, I'm that's awesome. <laughs> I wish I was there. <laughs> but real quick, uh, so, you know, we we talked about your favorite air to air shoot. You've done this in general. What is your favorite airplane of all time? The uh Flying or not flying? Both. I think the top of the list is the SR-71 Blackbird. Um, I don't think so. Anything else will 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 be made. Uh, whatever you know, uh, however it was made, the design and all that stuff. I think that's like at the top of the top of the top of the or the whatever at, right at the summit. That is my favorite. Then. Uh, then the second one I think I think is the F-14 uh, Tomcat. You know that's that's awesome. And then obviously you know uh, there are others who might be like ties or whatever, like like the Viper or the MiG-29. Um, you know uh, the Raptor, uh, the F-15 Eagle as well, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the kind of the list goes on after that. But I think right at the at the top of the, the chart, uh, the Blackbird and then the Tomcat and then followed by the others. Have you been over to Iran by chance to go see the F-14s? I know you've done a lot of stuff with an organization called Coap, right. and I know Coap organizes a lot of uh, trips that take you to certain areas around the world to go do a lot of photo tours. And I know you are you've done a lot of stuff with right. Coap. Um, so, kind of a two-part question is: Have you gone over to see the Iranian F-14s? And the other two sides is kind of what is Coap? Right. So, at least. Uh for the first part of the question, uh, I haven't been to uh, Iran uh, to see the Tomcats and just because, again, uh, I'm here from the U.S. and again, I'm, I'm not a citizen and all that, so I just don't want to get into unnecessary crap, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, with with all the other stuff that's going on. Um, so that's, that's that, but obviously I have been to, uh, like I went to Oceania in uh, in fact when i was shooting film and i've lost that those negatives as well but i went down to point magoo and i did have some pictures of the f14 tomcats there and i think i was there when the qf uh, qf4 phantom crashed as well uh, and wow. yeah and oh, the, wow. the crew you know couldn't eject that was, that was very sad uh, at that time but i i have some shots of the f14 tomcat from my digital side um, which was I think 2000 uh, yeah 2004 I believe the uh, VF 101 guys were there in Nellis uh, so I think I think 2004 or 2005 I think uh, I have some shots from there and then I went to uh, Oceana in 2006 which was kind of the last uh, appearance of the Tomcat in, in the air show uh, so I have some shots of that but yeah nothing nothing from Iran or whatever and then Coming to answer the second part of the question uh, is the COAP. So that's uh, Center of Aviation Photography, and that was that is still uh, run by uh, Rich Cooper and Steve Steve Comber from the UK. And uh, I think the the core idea is to have you know seven eight uh, like a group of eight or ten people uh, go do something you know uh, totally different. Um, like a base visit or you know go to uh, like for, for instance 
for me to figure out you know uh, ways and means in Russia and all that stuff is kind of you know too much time consuming or whatever or I don't have the, the right contacts or whatever so I just you know went with uh, co-op uh, to army 18 uh, which is kind of a, like a defense uh, exposition uh, like kind of like the the Farnborough or you know whatever or the Paris air show right uh, they have the army 18 like mm-hmm. like kind of max uh, which is again like there I think uh, max can be compared to the to the Farnborough and Paris but army is something like uh, I don't know it's another defense exposition uh, where a uh, lot of people come and then they have their exhibitions as well so I went with uh, those guys uh, and in fact it was kind of good because we went to I think we had uh, we uh, had one day at the uh, at the airfield uh, we had the second day at the at the tank range uh, and all the defense uh, exhibitions and then we left and then we went to uh, Radom in Poland uh, where they had the air show and then we kind of flew back so it was kind of like a quick trip uh, but then here in the in the in the US, uh, I've done the the Key West with those guys. Uh, that was a base visit over there. Uh, and then uh, I think in the last one, it was uh, I think it was supposed to be like I've done the, like with the the Dutch air to air with the Dutch guys in Tucson, uh, and then Nellis, Fallon, you know those kind of visits. So yeah, so it's kind of like a like a like a group, uh, but doing something you know kind of laid back but it's kind of packed a, a, a agenda as well uh, I, I yeah even i went to uh, that uh, barry goldwater range in uh, near tucson or somewhere uh, where we did some shooting of the uh, a10 you know uh, using its guns and all that stuff so yeah that is that 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 group is pretty good and then obviously with the pandemic and all and all the travel restrictions uh, which is i think uh, kind of floated the, the co-op online uh, which is kind of a revamped version of the previous co-op and I think the uh, uh, the registration or something opens up in, in February so that would be kind of like uh, a good way to kind of you know travel around and see the world you know uh, with similar minded people right it was some and with some amazing photographers yeah, exactly. and they had great yeah. stories share techniques and obviously yeah, yeah. all those things and Rich also does the uh, photo side for the Fighter Pilot podcast right. as well. Right. So, um, uh, and that's actually kind of cool that we, you, we, you and I actually kind of met. I wasn't a part of the co-op trip, but I believe you were. And at the Star Wars Canyon in 2019 in March, when I don't think I've ever seen that place more packed than it was that, those couple days. Um, because you had on your camera bag a wild boars patch. I don't know because uh, the last time I was there with the in the in the Star Wars Canyon with the co-op guys was 2016, and after that I have been there on my own pretty much. Okay, so I think I don't so it may not have been it may not have been co-op then, but I believe in March 2019. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, because you had a you had a wild boar sticker or, an, or a patch on, on one of your bags, and I like, I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah, spot a mountain home and all that, and just kind of start talking and all that. But right, um, so that's co-op guys. If you want, go check them out. I highly recommend if you guys want to if you want to go on some amazing uh, photography trips and learn a lot about aviation photography and have the money to spend on it, go check them out. And yeah. But moving on is, 
I'm assuming you don't even have a least favorite aircraft to take a photo of because, I mean, for you, it's just kind of you take a photo when you do and they're all really, like, every every frame counts in a way then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, okay. yeah, it's, it's every frame counts and then, uh, you know, if you, for me, it's, it's like tweaking around and, and basically, like, for me, when, when I take a picture, it's, it's to evoke an emotion. It's not like a documentary picture that, okay, I, you know, click, I, I got that documented and off to the next one. Um, so that's that's what my kind of, you know, driving uh, reasoning is um, behind how I kind of process my photos. Okay. So what about the rarest aircraft you've ever taken a, taken a photo of? Uh, so the rarest one uh, in, in today's times would be like, I think, that's the uh, Ericsson Aircraft Collections, uh, the Nakajima 43, or the KI-43 Oscar. I think that's the world's only Oscar which is flying with those guys. Um, so I would say that is the rarest shoot, uh, I would say. Uh, in fact, last year when I went over to, to Madras, <laughs> I was there. I was sitting freezing my, my butts on a on an SBD. Uh, dive bomber sitting in the back seat, you know, with the, uh, you know, kind of swiveled, you know, looking towards the tail, uh, or yeah, that's right. And then uh, we were near, uh, I think, Mount Jefferson uh, because we were kind of like trying to take, like, you know, simulate Mount Jefferson like Mount Fuji, and you know, take some shots with the with the with the Oscar over there. So yeah, I would say that is the most rarest because. You, you, throw, you find other specimen like everywhere, like even the B-29, it's got two, uh, which is flying. Uh, but with this, in this case, uh, the KI-43, I think that's the only specimen which is flying uh, in the whole world. So that would be the rarest. And then maybe the, the second would be the, uh, the XP-82, uh, the, the twin Mustang. That's right. And the twin Mustang is being moved up to Madras too, right? Is that is that correct? I have no idea on that one. I think it was supposed to be, it was on sale. That's what I heard. Uh, the last of it, uh, that Tom Rally and, and crew who really restored her beautifully. Uh, I think they had it on sale last year. That's what I heard. But I don't know if if uh, you know they found uh, any any you know someone in the U.S. or you know somewhere else. That, that it got sold or whatever. So I have no idea on if that is the one which is going to uh, matters. Yeah, your XP82 photos, I think personally, are the best photos you've ever taken that I've seen from you so far. Uh, <laughs> that like this, the sunset over the scenery that you took it from, with the world's only flying example of the XP82. It's just like, holy crap. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a fun shoot too. Like, uh, we, we all just went to, I think, Douglas uh, in Georgia. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It was kind of three hours from Atlanta and it was like really somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that it was. But it was, it was fun. And also, you've been posting a lot of... Uh, Mountain home shots from 2008, and uh, uh, we were kind of talking in the in the in the pre-show about just you posted a photo of 
in Aleutian uh, 78, as I was corrected on uh, with the episode with Sandip, it's not a 76, it's a 78. Um, but you posted one, and there's a very distinct hangar at Mountain Home. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the old World War II hangars, it says Gunfighter Country. If you ever go out there for the Gunfighter Skies Air Show, you'll see that hangar. It's a very old hangar. And you'd post a photo of the Aleutian head-on with the Gunfighter Country in the background. And I I think I, I love that photo. It's just so cool to see a Russian-built aircraft right. sitting with in front of the most iconic hangar at Mountain Home Air Force Base. Yeah, I was like, this this weekend, I was just like going down memory lane, you know, trying to apply some new techniques to the old photos. And uh, I still remember, uh, you know, July 17th, that's the day when, when the Sukhois landed uh, at Mountain Home uh, Air Force Base. And I was there, in, in fact, uh, according to my escort, uh, she said that they will be coming at 9.30 or something. So we said, okay, we'll be here by 8.30 at the gate, you know, sort out the papers and then we'll get you before they come. But while I was, while I came at the gate, I could see them in the overhead and I'm like, shit, you know, I'm like, I just, I'm like, damn, I, I could have, you know, gotten them landing, but I couldn't. But then even she came, you know, uh, hurriedly and then she, you know, got me uh, on the ramp as soon as she could. And then it was just awesome. Uh, just to see, uh, you know, the Sukhoi at a, at a American Air Force Base. And then the best part was uh, when the 390th, when they were still flying the Eagles, uh, they were going out on a, on a, on a training uh, sortie. And so I think the 390th were like right at the other end of the uh, of the ramp. And they were like, there were like three or four Eagles that I have in my shot as well that were kind of taxiing, you know, for the active runway. And as they kind of neared the Sukhoi, like you could, you could tell that the that, that the rate, the, the speed at which they were taxiing, it kind of reduced. And then they wanted to get a good look at the Sukhoi. So you know, it, it was kind of surreal uh, at that time. But it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was like good, good days uh, back at Mountain. I really like you know we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago about back in the early days. Man, I really wish that. I was into spotting, uh, let's see, three years earlier, yeah. and <laughs> I would be able to go out there and see Russian-built Sukhois at Mountain Home Air Force Base, and I can guarantee those pilots, because those pilots, you know, they were trained to shoot that aircraft down in the event of a war. Right, right. I mean, that's probably the first time that they've seen one of those in things in the flesh. Right, exactly. And it's like... Exactly, yeah. So... Everyone was kind of like, you know, like, holy crap, you know, it's, it's the Sukhois. And, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. It, it, was, it was good. It was good fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I keep looking at those photos, just like, oh, man. <laughs> I, this. Uh, yeah, like, you, even I have, like, kind of the same feeling that you have. I, I think that the golden era of, uh, of aviation, like, especially military aviation, would be, like, kind of like the 80s, still the 90s. Mm-hmm. where you had a whole lot of different airframes doing different kind of things, you know, flying around. And it was just like, just awesome to see like the A7, the A6, you know, the F-14s, the F, you know, F-18s mixed around with, with all that, you know, different stuff, right? The F-111s. Yeah. Back then, there was such a diversity of different airframes mm-hmm. because 
they're, they're, everybody is still in the Cold War mentality. Like, we need a different airframe for attack, we need a different airframe for the nuclear mission, we need a different airframe for, like, this air-to-air superiority, and we need, right. you know, and gone away, especially in the Navy, where it's just really uh, your COD aircraft, your Hawkeye, oh, yeah. and the Super Hornet, and now the F-35, but... I mean, like, the Air Force is still at least a little diverse, but, you know, it's just a lot that's gone away, and that's what kind of sucks for people of my age, is we are getting into this stuff right when all this was going away. I don't think I have a single photo, or my father took a single photo of a uh, of a Tomcat at an air show, because, you know, being in Idaho, why would they send a Tomcat to Mountain Home, right? But at least my dad did take some photos of the F-117 at Mountain Home. Yeah, exactly, exactly, like... Like, uh, I still remember, like, I went to uh, one of the exercises in Wisconsin last year, no, uh, 2019, I believe, yeah, 2019, where they had the uh, Air Force and the Marines, and uh, did they have the Navy? Or, or they, they were just crawlers from the Navy. Uh, and then they had the, the local F-16s as well, and the Raptors from Langley. But I was like, the Air Force, uh, like, one of the squadrons, and then the Marines, one of the squadrons. They had bought like F-35. So the Marines bought the F-35B, the Air Force got the F-35A. But we were kind of like on the, uh, like far away from the ramp where they were taxiing out. And I, I I was just kind of like, you know, a bit disappointed because I was like, hey, does the future look like, you know, F-35s across all the, you know, <laughs> like across Navy, Air Force and Marines or whatever. And if they, even if there's a joint exercise, yeah, sure. It's a it's a different you know marking on a, on a on a Navy F thirty five versus a Air Force F thirty five. But hey, it just looks the same. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like they like the Marines and, and and the Air Force. They had like twelve. They had bought the entire squadron down. So they had like twelve F thirty fives, and they used to launch. And after three or four F thirty fives, I was like, hmm, you know, should I be just taking like just shots, or should I be doing something? else or should I take video or you know whatever but it was just like one F-35 after the other and it was just like that I was like okay maybe this is the future it, it really is you know it's it's like I've been thinking about this with the F-35 and its different variants I think the last aircraft to reach across all the branches with the Navy Air Force and and the Marines was the Phantom right this aircraft is gonna. I think it's gonna be just like how the F four was, and is how much, how how you know this is legendary service with the Phantom. I think the F thirty five is going to do the exact same thing. And you know, back when the F thirty five was like brand new, like if you go out to like Red Flag and we saw an F thirty five there, everybody yeah. was like, holy crap, yeah. right? Yeah, right now it's like ah, uh, just you know, saw one, saw the same, you know, others or whatever. And now it's just just like well. F thirty five like it was like oh look a legacy eagle and then <laughs> yeah. like you know think about yeah, it yeah exactly you're more excited by the legacy eagle or you know something else showing up rather than yeah. F thirty five yeah exactly because you just have so much of them right now mm -hmm. but I think the one aircraft that we all agree upon that uh, never gets old is seeing the F twenty two I can shoot it I'll shoot the F twenty twos just forever oh yeah oh yeah that is just such an awesome plane oh yeah it's like you go to Nellis and I'm like like Raptors and it's like Oh, yeah. I mean, I got the same photos at the exact same angle, the exact same aircraft. I've been out there so much, but it's just like, it's an F-22. Right, exactly. And, and and the funny part is, like, when you, when you said F-22, uh, I remember uh, back in 2018 when I went to uh, China Lake to do an interview uh, with the uh, with a couple of guys from the BX-9 Vampires. 
uh, I took two days off. So obviously, uh, uh, the one day I went down there, the the second day I took the, uh, I think, yeah, I went down there, I took the interview, and then the second day I was just traveling back home because it takes me almost like six hours one way to just go there. So I was like, hey, I have the day off. I would still, you know, go to, go to the canyon, spend most of the day, and then I can start my drive back, and that should be good. So I kind of go up to the canyon, uh, go to the end of the, uh, what is that, the, the gravel road, and I'm just sitting there, and I, you know, hear noises. I'm like, oh, okay, there's some traffic coming in, which is great. And then I see something like, what the heck are these? And it was like, oh, raptors. I'm like, shit. Like, it, that, that's my first time, you know, of, of having raptors in a canyon. And then when, when the guy goes through, he is, in, in fact, like, he is exactly looking at me. Like, he's looking at, it, at me sideways and, and literally kind of, you can see it in the picture. And when I kind of, you know, chimp afterwards, and I'm like, holy crap, these are like the raptors from Alaska. So, I don't have any of the local raptors ever in, in my, you know, uh, visits at the canyon, but I have a raptor from Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, I you know I guys what 2018 March 2018 is I actually was fortunate to get a raptor in the canyon. Also, uh, it was a it was a OT bird too, which was super cool. And uh, the pilots the pilots of life got in contact with me, and it was honestly that family is. I just can't describe how amazing that those two are. Um, and they actually took the photos that I have. I got of him in the canyon, and they're now hanging up in the vault, the raptor vault. At oh Dallas. yeah, oh yeah. Like it's it's always that case, right? Because same thing, like at the 90th guys, uh, the 90th raptors, uh, 90th squadron, up at uh, what is that? Jaber now. Uh, it used to be Elmendorf. Um, but yeah, yeah they have uh, like uh, they have a lot of my pictures up in like in the squadron area, the vault and all that stuff. But it's just great how it kind of you know how that stuff works out. Uh, I I just love the fact that you know there's you know there's that appreciation from both sides, right? Of 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 what people do. Like we appreciate what the guys what what the pilots do, and then the, the pilots appreciate what we do. It, it's kind of like a great. Uh, 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 like a, a unique uh, relation, I would say. You know, like my main thing is if I ever do the low levels, uh, either be here in Idaho or wherever else, it's like my main thing isn't for the likes and the views and the follows and stuff. It's to make sure, it's like how Dave said in his interview, you know, we do it so we can give these guys their photos of them doing right. their thing. Because, you know, that that's, that's, that's my main purpose when I do these types of photography. Right. You know, just the other day, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you'll see I just had uh, one of actually our mutual friends is I got out there for her Feeny flight, which is if you don't know what a Feeny flight is, that's a last flight of, uh, in, a, in a squadron right. and before they move on for retirement or something else. I went out there. It was just it was the worst weather <laughs> you could ever shoot in. We're talking dark gray strike eagle on dark gray skies. If you are an aviation photographer, you're just going to stay home. But because she's one of my best friends out there, I went out there anyways. And just so she has those photos of her doing it one last time out there. And that's what makes it all worth it. And and that's what a lot of people don't realize or don't really think about is a lot of people that do do this stuff, we do it for the people who are in the aircraft. Yeah, like I, I rather feel proud of, you know, have, having my photos up, up uh, you know, in, in the walls of the squadron 
or you know the, the guy's own personal room or you know whatever because hey he's the reason why the photo you know happened to be right exactly kind of moving it on real quick so what is your favorite events or location that you you like taking photos at i mean whether it be in the air or like at a low level or like even at like nellis or something like that like kind of what is your your favorite one to go to go to yeah go i think the, the the favorite one right now would be uh like it used to be like like star wars because you can you could just go there unannounced and you can just you know uh fish the whole day you know for whatever traffic came by uh you know and then yeah it used it, it was kind of a good funnel of you know of funneling all the traffic into into that one space over the whole miles of like the whole 25-weight complex, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it would be Nellis uh, because just for the reasons of accessibility, uh, I can just drive down there. Uh, I don't need to like fly down there. It, it takes me a good 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 amount of eight to nine hours to to drive down there, but I can still do it uh, right now. And uh, the other thing is, uh, again, you know, you know, kind of Nellis with the red flags and all that is kind of like a, a, a what they call uh, a, a water hole kind of thing for all the international aircraft, right? Uh, because for red flag, whatever, everyone comes to Nellis, they launch from there, they land there and, you know, all that stuff, right? So I, I think Nellis would be the, the favorite one right now just for, you know, all those reasons. Yeah. No, I agree with you, man. We, you never know what you can get at Nellis. And going back to the Star Wars canyons, you can spend a whole day on the rim of the canyon, and you can get 30, well, 35, 40 aircraft <laughs> going through. I would say, like, when, when I, I don't know when you, you started off, but, again, like, there, there are people who, again, started off way before me. Uh, I went to the canyon in 2015, I believe. That was my first year. And... I still remember 2015 to 2016 or or something like that or maybe uh, it was yeah I think it was 2015 so for those couple of years uh, it was a damn good day if you had even a double digit number of passes like even 10 like you were like ecstatic yeah if you had 10 passes uh, and then later on it just exploded it's <laughs> like like you know 30 passes was kind of like the, the norm and if you had yeah. more, then that would yeah. be like, like, you know, whatever, icing on the top or whatever. But yeah, it was it was kind of like really interesting to watch how it went from like, you know, 10 passes was kind of like the, like a damn good day to 30 passes being a normal day or, you know, at least 20 plus was a normal day. I think I, went, I first went there in February 2017 and, you know, the guy who I was with, he, his first day there was he got one one pass there's a couple days where i've had this single digit passes but one guy out there told me and i and i really and i love it i love this saying is a day at the candy with no passes is still a better day at the office (laughs) that is true that is true like uh like especially i've been uh i've been there like i remember 20 was it 20 or 2018 obviously because uh the canyon got shut down afterwards but I think 2018, uh, I went there with literally zero expectations. And this was just a week before the whole Christmas and all that, right? And and I asked a guy who's, who's, who's a regular there, he's like, hey, does it even make sense for me to go there? And he's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of the year end, I don't know, uh, like, you know. But he, like, he ended his, uh, his uh, guidance or his advice with a, with a sentence that still sticks with me, like, hey, 
but it's a canyon you you don't know it might amaze you right and uh, so i went there with literally no expectations you know planning to spend uh, three days there uh, kind of the last tour of the year and uh, the first day i got like 33 passes <laughs> the second day it was all dust on so we got like three or four but they like it the the wind was like too turbulent so they just kind of skimmed the ridge and then i, I just decided to go home on, on the second day because the weather was worse the next day but you know it, it's exactly the thing like it's you never know right unless you are there yeah it's like you net you never know what you're going to get out there and it's always worth to go out there and try actually let me rephrase this it was yeah. just going out there to try yeah exactly it was it really was and it's they still had a 2500 foot out no 1500 feet 1500 foot, yeah. yeah um so honestly don't get your hopes up it's ever going to come back anytime soon but yeah. it was good when it lasted i mean obviously you know talking with dave is you know dave's in his discussion he's done research for years i've done research for years well it's time to start finding some other places right oh and, yeah and i mean yeah and he's doing a fine good you know damn good uh work on that one <laughs> mm -hmm. oh yeah that he some has awesome shots especially the crisp weather and the, and the lighting and all that like man that's awesome yeah, especially with that background too, like that winter background he's been posting. Mm -hmm. oh. Yep, exactly. Let's so we already talked about your doc shoot, which is by far your favorite air-to-air -air shoot. Kind of well, what's what's another kind of? And we talked about Mountain Home 2008. Well, what's kind of something else that you like? Do you think the listener would really like to enjoy and hear about, like something like your other uh, adventures that you've done? Um, what would be a good one? Um. Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, like at the start of uh, 2020, uh, I was up at, uh, I was in, in fact across the pond in Barcelona uh, because of my company's uh, European, you know, customer conference uh, edition and uh, I, did, I didn't have much, you know, like I had dispensed off with my whatever duties and, and meetings that I had. And I was, I was supposed to come back, uh, I think on Friday, uh, but then uh, one of my friends uh, at Nellis, he had a, a change of command ceremony on Friday. And I didn't have anything, uh, you know, uh, there on Thursday, so I decided to leave Thursday. And it's, it's just kind of like, like what you said about, you know, um, like why do we do this, right? Uh, it's like the Finney flight that you went uh, of our mutual friend. And I wanted to be there to kind of, you know, document his chain of command. Um, so I was like, you know what, I can swing this. Let, let me do this. So then I started off on Thursday at like whatever, uh, three o'clock in the morning. My, my day began when I woke up in the hotel to catch a, a six o'clock flight uh, to Frankfurt. From Frankfurt, I, you know, flew back to San Francisco. Uh, from San Francisco back home, maybe an hour and a half you know, whatever, you know, drives back home. And literally I came home, I unpacked my stuff, I repacked a small, you know, bag, got into the shower, did a quick shower, quick change of clothes, got my bag, camera, and I headed out to San Jose airport. And then I got my, on, on the flight to Vegas, uh, just to, so that, you know, I could catch, you know, my, my friends and all this on a Thursday. So <laughs> just imagine the fact that my, Thursday began, uh, which is what, plus nine hours ahead from here, from PST. Uh, mm -hmm. It began at like three o'clock there, and it ended up at like 9.30 or 10.30 in Vegas. 
traveling different uh, you know between different time zones just so that you know i can you know make my friends change of command and obviously it was uh, the i think it was the last no not not the last day i think it was uh, one of the days of red flag but it was a friday so i caught the like after his chain of command in the morning i went out you know by the speedway and shot some other stuff and you know and went home on saturday so again a, a great you know shout out to my wife who's you know encouraged uh, all these uh, uh, she she calls it an, an obsession uh, yeah. <laughs> i call it a hobby but whatever that you know that she supports my 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 crazy things but that's that's one of the things maybe and then i think uh, the the other story uh, would be like getting the the afterburner shot of the b1 uh, on uh, the the last red flag the 2020 i think yes. 03 i think that would be like yeah because that was totally surprise uh, i was not ready for it but hey it just happened like i remember uh, going out uh, uh, in on one of the nights and uh, normally with all the red flags uh, as as you also know like the heavies will go out first the bombers the tankers the avacs and all those guys they will launch first and then the fighters take off and that's the same thing which happened like all the other heavies took off the tankers and the avacs took off and the, the fighters started taking off and this is like pitch black you know uh, at i think 9 9 o'clock 9:30 show something like that and i was like okay you know um i i can't you know do anything out here with all the pitch black thing uh, and uh, and even i think even in the day we had heard of like here hey, the b1s are not going to do you know any night launches because they are kind of broke or you know whatever it is so i didn't expect them to you know to to even move and i was not even frankly i was not even watching that part of the ramp uh, to see if there is any movement i was just not expecting any 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 beyonds and uh, at around 9:30 i decided to pack it in but then i was like yeah wait a minute i'll just you know spend like the next 5 minutes here just to you know just watching what happens and then like a, i could see like a big heavy you know <laughs> aircraft that's moving on on one of the runways and it's again pitch black you can just see the lights and all that and i was like okay what's this like in in, in the middle of all these fighters taking off and then there was a guy beside me um, you know watching with his binoculars and he's like oh crap that's a b1 i'm like holy crap that's the b1 you know and like i better not screw up that was kind of the, the next you know the things that that flashed in my head but yeah that was that was like a that was a great moment i got some good shots of the the four uh motors just like flame and you know all that stuff with with us with a simple with with a slight you know visibility on on the airframe and in fact like the, the again the pilot uh, reached out to me after that and uh yeah we i i gave all those shots to him and then uh, and that's the other thing that i like with these with these things right like even though he moved out of the unit he still made sure that i got like the, the whole swag from from the ninth squad from the ninth uh, bomb squadron so yeah that showed up like some time later but it was it was just awesome that that was one you know great story that's yeah i, I remember seeing that and i think I, there's some certain groups that were both in and i think everybody was just like holy crap yeah. after that shot <laughs> yeah that, that was exactly and even the, the tribe.com uh, picked up picked it up as well i ran a story on it yeah i remember seeing that yeah i have to ask one final question before i start wrapping her up here out of all the indian air force aircraft which one is your favorite uh of all the indians uh i would say there are the one is like kind of the 
the quintessential fighter looks, and that's a MiG-21. It just looks like a fighter, you know. It just looks like a like a scrawny guy, you know, looking for a fight. Um, yeah. You know, and then then I think that's that's for that reason. And the second one might be like a MiG-29. Uh, it's just for uh, the the design and then how the the kind of the fuselage blends in, into the nozzles on on the on the back and then you know and all the the canopy and all that stuff in the front. Uh, I just like that design, the, the MiG-29. Okay, I promise you, as I said the last question, I have one last question for you. And then we can start wrapping up. And you can apologize to the life on my behalf. No worries. <laughs> we talked about your favorite Warbird air-to-air shoot. What about your favorite uh, military air-to-air shoot that you have done? Uh, military would be uh, the ones with the aviation photo crew guys. Uh, and let's see. I think one of the best ones was uh, would be like, I, I think... The one with the F-35, because uh, that was not on the menu, and uh, yeah, this for the reason that it was not on the menu, and it was like it just happened uh, in uh, 2016, I believe, when the when the F-35 first uh, landed on uh, Dutch soil, uh, they went around on, on, on a PR trip uh, across the uh, the Netherlands, and on one of those I think sorties we had them for the air-to-air shoot and. Uh, I think the weather was a bit uh, crap that that day, so we had to go over the clouds. So we like most of the the, uh, the background is just puffy clouds uh, in in the background. But I think that would be I think the, the favorite shoot because I didn't think that I would have like an F thirty five air to air at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again like the with great pilots like uh, uh, Ian Knight and uh, Pascal. Great pilots, like they, and it was like really uh, worth, uh, you know, watching uh, the F-35s maintain formation behind the Skyvan, which is slow. You know, it's it's not uh, one of the the fastest things, uh, you know, on Earth. Uh, but at one point of time, like you could see the huge deflections on on the uh, on the uh, uh, on the, on the tail stabs of the F-35s. It was like really, you know, it was, it was it was kind of fun watching those deflections. Uh, of how the flight control system is, you know, trying to maintain the, uh, you know, the attitude of the aircraft at that speed, and with all these controls going kind of, you know, kind of going crazy, uh, it's 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 it was really kind of like a revelation, uh, because uh, in, in in a normal plane, like you, the the pilot would be like trying to, you know, move the controls and trying to get them where they, where he wants them to be, and you know, trying all that stuff. But in this case, with all this whole digital flight control system, right? And that's like you know, it's it's it's. I think it's going overdrive because he's like, oh, I, this is this speed, that's this attitude. Then I need to move that surface here, that surface there, and hey, suddenly the air is going, you know, uh, you know, going somewhere uh, else. So I need to move that control. And it was just great to see the whole, you know, the the flight control laws in action during that time. That's that's incredible, dude. You just done so much really cool stuff and I know you have inspired a lot of other young aviation guys to pursue not just maybe a career in in a military but also just trying to become like a better aviation photographer and kind of be like you so I mean yeah you just taking some absolutely amazing work and um, just kind of moving on to the next part at the kind of wrap-up stage of this is you know like for those young guys that you might have inspired you know what's some tips or words of encouragement you can offer them yeah I would say you know uh, 
just just go out there and shoot uh, i would say like try different settings don't just you know keep the same setting for the whole year you know and then try to get like sharp you know whatever you know uh, 30 or 50 shots sharp on the same aircraft of one you know pass or whatever just just try to challenge yourself right uh, maybe you want to do panning uh, you know uh, and that you know that's what happened that even uh, red flag alaska when i went for the, the first day when it was media day uh, the weather was as you said it was like 50 shades of gray there's literally no sun and i'm like okay i can take some shots of you know with with the aperture wide open but then you know let me practice panning because what can i lose like i, I can't over expose because there's no light right so challenge yourself in you know in trying to you know maybe like in panning uh, i would also say try kind of different types of shoots so uh, it's not like you know hanging at nellis the whole year maybe you can go to some you know uh, air show or whatever try static you know try different angles of a, of a of a plane which is you know parked on the on the static display right maybe do a night shoot with you know with lighting uh you know light up the uh, the aircraft using your normal you know strobes or whatever or you know, the flashlights you know off camera lighting so just you know do do different kind of stuff at least that's what i do because i just try you know going into uncharted territory at least according to like uncharted as per myself that i haven't been there and i try to kind of explore that that hey uh, you know kind of read up on that try to get a sense of you know what does that involve and just try to get into that uncharted territory and and see if, if things work out you know obviously and, and then travel or travel to different you know um cities or states or maybe even countries because uh things are not what they seem uh you know when you know with with, with what the, the the stereotype is painted right uh, and uh, i'll just take like whatever 30 seconds to you know tell the story uh especially about uh in russia when i went to back uh, when i went to the army 18 uh uh the one of the days we went out to the tank range and they had uh, they have these uh, stadium kind of seating uh, uh at the at the tank range where you know it's kind of like those those rows of seats with with gaps in between right and um, mm-hmm. i was basically changing a lens because i wanted to you know uh, shoot something wide angle or whatever and while changing the the lens a lens cap fell from the from the seats uh, and it fell down onto the ground and i was like ah oh, shit I'll, i'll i'll get that later so i i was kind of in busy in my own world about you know changing lens and all that and getting it ready and um, you know the tank came and i'm and i'm shooting and all that and then a couple of you know russian soldiers like basic rank right like no officer rank or whatever mm-hmm. just basic whatever enlisted rank they showed up and again language is a huge problem like literally like like i don't understand russian and they don't understand english like not even one word they came and they kind of you know uh, like sign language right he's like you know something fell i'm like yeah yeah i know but i'll just do shooting i'll i'll you know i'll take care of it later and i think they they kind of got it what i what i kind of signed uh, did did the sign thing but after that like 10 minutes after that <laughs> one of the guys was come he came back up again and in his hand he had my lens cap and he's like you know here you go and i was like dude you didn't have to do it right because it's just a lens cap that fell you know from when i was seeing the lens and he didn't he didn't have to do it but he anyway did it 
and I was like, that's that's really cool because of all the stereotypes, you know, that you know the that that we are kind of educated on that hey, that's uh, the communist the Russians, they are made in a certain way, they are they think in a certain way, and all that. That's not really there at, at the basic core uh, of of a, of a human being. The tendency or the natural tendency is to help, you know. So yeah. it's it's kind of you know you know trying to break across those cultural you know made up barriers. I would say is travel, you know, go out the world, have fun, you know, uh, and then again like share your stuff, right? Uh, if there's some interesting techniques on how you do it, uh, you know, post processing. There's a whole big world out there uh, with you know with and especially in the social media uh, like Facebook or Instagram. You can see what kind of you know editing goes, uh, you know, uh, uh, people are doing using out there, right? So there's so much thing that is like endless. Like yeah, you can always you know, and I would say that always be a student. Like never try to you know uh, aspire to be like a like a master. Always be a student because when you're a student, your learning never stops, right? And then uh, yeah, I would just say like you know just just challenge everything. Uh, just challenge yourself, your your techniques. And yeah, always remember, right? You 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 win some, you lose some. So don't get upset over something that that you couldn't get, or you know, it it, it didn't happen, or whatever. You know, there's always another day. There's always other things that you can chase. Absolutely, dude. And I I couldn't agree with you more to say when you said this. Break down those cultural barriers. At the end of the day, everyone is human. Right. Everybody has to start to be kind. Yeah. Share your stories, be humble, always ask questions. You can never ask too many questions and there is never a wrong question exactly. to ask. Exactly. And the other thing is, this is like photography, like it's it's an art, it's not science. So there's nothing, you know, right or wrong about it. It's, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? Exactly. I think that was absolutely beautiful what you just said and I couldn't just, guys, seriously, break down those cultural barriers, go talk to people i mean like you're you won't you won't know how we're another another person's story if you don't yeah. talk with them you don't make that first move yeah you're just you know uh, making an, an 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 image of that person in your brain and that's your bias hey also agree you win some you lose some and trust me we have all lost <laughs> a lot to get to our little wins exactly exactly yeah i don't get upset over small things and there's this this so much other other things and you know to achieve in life on the tail end of that beautifully said statement uh we kind of talked about it uh, earlier in the show but you have your own book and all that so where can people uh find your work like online instagram facebook twitter whatever you use and where can also people help support you uh by buying your art and your prints and your uh photos and all that and right so online uh, i just have two uh one is facebook and you can find me uh, on Facebook at, uh, you know, at Kedar K-A-P. So that's, uh, you know, the first name and then the first alphabet of my last name. So Kedar K, Alpha Papa, that stands for Aviation Photography. And then on Instagram, it's uh, at Kedar's Clicks. So again, the first name and then Sierra Charlie Lima India X-Ray. So Clicks, Kedar's Clicks. Uh, and again, uh, if, you, uh, if you are interested in, in, you know, buying books and all that, uh, just ping me on on those two uh, you know uh, forums and I will get back to you uh, with a link. I uh, I am working. Uh, in fact, the book is finished. I'm just working on some logistics 
of uh, the, the latest of my Bandit series books. Uh, I have, I think the the first one I ever did was uh, the Bandits of the Gulf Coast. That was on the VFC 111 uh, at Key West. Uh, but that's out of print because it was a, a different company. And then uh, the, the recent one is uh, the Bandits of the Mojave on the 64th Aggressor Squadron. And then the latest one, like right now, uh, that's uh, I'm waiting on the on the logistics is the Bandits of the Last Frontier. Uh, that's the 18th Aggressor Squadron out of uh, Ilson. So those are some of the books that are kind of you know kind of uh, out there. Awesome. Well, if you guys are interested, definitely go ping him and go go support him because it's you do support an amazing photographer and all that. And I just want to say uh, before we wrap it up for good. Um, thank you for being a great friend to me over these past few years. Uh, you have been a, a really amazing guy to talk to and just this a really, really good person in general. And I'm thankful and so glad that you agreed to come on the show to share your stories. Um, I think a lot of people are really, really uh, going to enjoy what you have. Anytime, said. man. Absolutely. Anytime for you. Awesome. And when you're up in Boise, I did promise you a hawk spot. So when you're <laughs> yeah. able to come up to Boise, we're, going, we're doing a hawk spot. Yeah, we are. Anyway, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Aviation Spotters podcast. And as always, if you have any questions for the show, and actually any questions for Kadar, uh, shoot me an email at spotterspodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at BOI Spotter, Twitter at BOI Spotter. Go check out the Facebook page. We got some new banner art up there. You know, new year, new banner art. Uh, and um, as always, start using the hashtags, hashtag Aviation Spotters Podcast, hashtag Ask Spotters Pod. It helps me find all those people that should come on the show and talk aviation with me and all that. So st please start using the hashtags. And um, anyway, Kadar, anything else to add before I wrap nope, it up? No, thanks for having me, man. Awesome. All right, guys. Uh, until next time, keep those batteries charged and those cameras ready. And then we'll catch you on another episode of the Aviation Spotters Podcast.